Welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, where we talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. I'm M. I'm Glenroy. And I'm Lanvel. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottom <laughs> What was that, Glenroy? Wow. <laughs> Somebody tell the child so she can't sing. And she can't come try it and show off. Nobody can tell me that I believe it. I know what my limitations are in life. Are. I know what this mouth can do and what it can't. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> If I scream, nobody cannot hold you down, pin it to the ground, nothing. Nothing, girl. Where, where Katy Perry say, um, if you ever feel like a scandal bag or something like so, <laughs> floating <laughs> in the wind. I know Katy Perry doesn't know song go no scandal bag. Yeah, you know what you say. I was just about to Google what song Katy Perry sing about scandal bag. Fireworks or flash <laughs> about the girls say. <laughs> <laughs> how, how was I, was I was trying to make it relatable, um, you know, because the girls know what a scandal bag is. <laughs> Girl bag. <laughs> so, so let's talk about, I know you did um a, a, a keynote the other day. Tell us about that. Oh, girl. Um, so, back Hold to, on. before you tell the story, M did a plan to lip sync in the keynote and a bag of things. So, more here, all of I did, but um, it's a whole backstory. I'm by my take up a good chunk of the podcast, but um, so like this year, um, I'm in student government, I'm the president of the Graduate Student Association at my college, and one of the things that I've been trying to do is to just like build relationships, build bridges between the graduate students, administration and undergraduate students, because in on the college campus here, the undergraduates are the ones that wield the power, really. Right. So there's this one um, club called the Bayabob Society. Um, the Bayabob is a tree in Africa. I don't remember which country it's, um, it originates in, but it symbolizes um, connectivity and roots and stuff like that so it's like the it's like the um benchmark cultural diversity club on campus um we have a lot of affinity groups so we have like a black student union we have um sexuality and gender alliance but bay of society is the one that caters for everybody um so it's the truly intersectional club on campus um they have this empowerment brunch that they host every year it was before this year it was the women's empowerment brunch but this year, it's just the empowerment brunch um, because they're rebranding to account for the intersectionality and all the previous exclusions that took place under just calling it a women's empowerment brunch, right? So I was in their planning meeting one day and I was like, they were, and they were telling us all that they wanted to do and they were like saying they were, they were going to do a panel. So I'm like, if you want somebody to speak on the panel, I could because this is something I've done before. Um, and they said, okay, cool, whatever. But then... Apparently, they never got enough persons to do a panel. So they asked me if I could give the keynote. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, right. So that's how I ended up giving that keynote address. Um, it was about intersectionality. And I think what I titled the address as was the value of um, nonconformity and identity. Um, and... While I was writing it, like a lot of emotions started to pour in because I used some personal experiences to bring across um my own my own politics of nonconformity and what that means for me and you know just how other persons can embody a similar thing with their own identities and particular rea- um lived realities. And I don't know where it came from, but like at points throughout the keynote, I had like these video clips um not video clips but these song clips so i had one from lady gaga born this way that was my entrance song and then i had Alyssa cara um scar steer beautiful i had pretty hurts by beyonce i had who you are by jesse j and i was just like dropping these little lips things throughout the keynote 
And then when I ended, I ended with Defying Gravity by Edina Menzel. And I don't remember the other person's name, but that song from Wicked. Um, if y'all watched Glee, that was the first um, challenge that um, Rachel and what's his name? The other guy did while they were in high school. <laughs> I don't remember. Chris Copper plays him. Um, but I did Defying Gravity as my final lip sync because I felt like that song really embodied a rejection. Rachel and not the queer character's name, which is Kurt. Kurt Hummel. But Kurt Hummel, but also Rachel is a Jew, so it's kind of the same thing. Um <laughs> what? And I, I don't to all the listeners, I am not equivocating here. I say that in jest. I understand the realities are different, but also there is a similar contour. Um but Right, so I feel like Define Gravity is that song that really embodies a rejection of a hegemonic um, um, identity, sort of masculinity, that patriarchal, all that sort of stuff. You know, the w Wicked Witch was just like saying, hey, fuck us, fuck the wizard, I'm doing my own thing and I'm going to be great and y'all can't stop me. And I feel like, you know, just doing that lip sync was important because one, I needed to get out of my shell because I've been wanting to do lip sync for a while <laughs> since I got here. And two, I just wanted to be vulnerable in the moment and show everyone and show everyone at the event that, you know, it's okay to just be who you are, be value, be vulnerable and be present in the moment. So it was a whole thing. It was great. Thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> so was there footage? I personally I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get it. There was a live. I don't know what happened to the Instagram live. Um, the videos are actually on Instagram, but you know, Instagram fuck, fuck up with them whole copyright business if you have okay. So you know, visible <laughs> to the public. So I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how to get it done from Instagram so I can share it in other places. Yeah, cause that, cause that must be like, I first met your people. I give academic speech and our keynote and I and I. It wasn't academic. That's the yeah, that academic things in there. You're not gonna come go on. Actually, I did make I did say I did have like one sentence that was about academics, and I was like, yeah, this is not the moment. Um, but if you wanted it to be, could, right? But that's kind of also my spiel, even when I'm giving like academic talks, I really go into storytelling. Um, it's it's much more fun, and quite frankly, academia is very boring with all the big words and the, the highfalutin concepts that fly over everybody's head really and truly. So I like, I like to break it down and I like to just tell a story when I'm giving my talk. So it was, it was kind of just my, me being me, I guess. You're the proud graduate of Outlaw JA. Sign up. We have more coming in the future. Yeah, girls. Yeah, girls. That's where it started. That's where it started. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, girl. Well, how do I go after M's performance? <laughs> You're doing a lip sync. M not close the M not close the show. No, M close the show. Oh, me, me come come the up the floor. Give the closing statement. Me come up the floor. Thank you all for coming. <laughs> um, to be honest, I am crawling to the end of this. Um of this program i'm happy that it's coming to an end i never want to see or do school again um yeah i think school has been consuming me for most of the time i'll be in london this weekend um but yeah that's the old that's the only thing that I, but i i don't know where what is it get right tell I me, don't know where tell I, me. London. I can't go london I can't go London. I'm going to I London. You being real defensive. I understand <laughs> Glenroy, I'm going to London to meet up with some friends and, you know, to de-stress and then to come back into the stress. Okay. You never said that either. You never said that. No, no. Glenn, you're not have to say anything. I see the expression, Glenn. <laughs> I see the expression. What? That is a guilty conscience. I, that is one thing I don't have. What is guilt? <laughs> exactly. But the, the so what's happening in the 876? Not the 876. Child, I've been, it's been a rough past four to six weeks. <laughs> I mean, work has been 
kicking all of our asses here. I'm not going to lie, but I, I, I did get that cute little award um, from the, at the annual HIV retreat for my work in human rights. But I don't know, but it feels cool. But it feels cool. You know why? I have said a couple of times on the podcast that this job can feel very thankless at times. I made it honestly shocked. Because if I didn't know say it's proper something, I mean, I'd actually get that award. I wouldn't just drown one piece of white shirt. I'd have to find something where you know, extra. <laughs> well, thank, you need to send a thank you note to that photographer. Because. That's <laughs> what I was saying. Show it you a white shirt. Award. So the girl, come out. <laughs> no, girl, it was very basic. Like, would I get something else that 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 did that show clean in white and all of them something there? But there's a, there's another thing that um that should be happening soon. I'm not gonna announce it. Yet. I mean, we could have technically said no, because by the time this come out, well, no, this might come out Friday. So, um, but I'm gonna say that yet, right? It will it will be revealed in time. So y'all can see. <laughs> Um, you know, some good things have been happening so far. So notwithstanding all the stress, some good things have been happening. And so life not life not really bad. Uh, um, but work been has stressed me. Um but I've been getting a few flowers recently. And you know, every now and then you get a couple flowers then for validate the fact that you're really been a put out your all and somebody somewhere sees it. So yeah, that's what's been happening with me. I pick up a few flowers here and there. I myself. I've been a baby myself and I keep to myself. Scout's honor. <laughs> oh, we never get a recap of Regina party. Listen, first of all, all Regina hoodwink we, right? Regina, tell us, say, all of it after buy color color things, right? To the dance. Well, Bible color color thing then, her the instructions over get from Regina. Um, meaning I'm gonna end up back for three people. I'm gonna buy for me, I'm gonna buy for Krista, I'm gonna buy for JVM, we got Kelly's JVM to get the buy theme, theme basket of things before they get the I'm gonna buy for three people, right? Run up and done in a in a mega mark the night before we go to the villa, book up in a my friend, she get pink, so she has stressed out. When we reach there, Regina and have no color. I what is that look right? But it was it was a really it was a nice relaxing event and it was a cute little break from continuity. You know, every now and then you know, like a break from your yeah, regular programming. Yeah. It was nice. Um on day two we did go to the beach and then we did there wasn't too much drinking this time. It wasn't like that time when we did that when we did that celebrate New Year's and she tried to lay off. This time the drinking was moderate. Um and so it was it was it was more relaxing than anything else. And um we did just in at the pool, I play volley, uh, you know, pool volleyball, something, something, something for, a, for a whole long time. We just up for the dinner in our in our flesh tones, um, with new tone um colors and everything like that. And I, I had a good time. It was nice and relaxing. We can't complain. I, I actually had a nice, relaxing weekend and I very much needed that. I mean, I need more of those, but that one came at the right time. So big up Regina, right? To make sure to make it that cute looking experience that all those should food wink with. Because she also have a on the mood for the new dinner. So clearly and, and the that is the color, and that is the color nude, right? The nude color, not yes. the nude no color. <laughs> Under the right circumstances, I don't know dinner anymore. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, actually, I mean, because, well, no, but moon the nude, like, but I do linger with, but I like put some fandang with them, and then like, all of it come out and all stuff, but I put on my harness also, all of my chest gone, coming and been going to the gym. So, when the chest come back, I sit up by myself and put on put on the full the full number. I get I mean some I mean some new things, you know, like I need to buy some new things, girl. I mean, I'm not update my close friends. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me see. Anyways. <laughs> oh. So that 
brings us to <laughs> what we'll be talking about today. M. <laughs> Wait, when I say M, you, <laughs> you're M. as the guest because <laughs> I don't know. M. So you am I supposed to be introducing the topic M? Yeah. The topic. Topic M. Okay, no, because no, I know normally when you have guests on the show, someone else introduces the topic. So the yeah, I, was, I was figuring that. <laughs> anyway, um, so right, so today, um, we're talking about a very what's shaping up to be a topical issue, um, globally, which is um the issue of the the impacts of climate change on the LGBTQ community, and. You know, this just a little um backstory on how we got here. Um, this project came out of an interest of um J Flag or Equality for All JA to understand how the Jamaican LGBTQ population was faring with climate change impacts in Jamaica. Cause um if you follow the news or any social media, you probably see all of the all of the environmental environmentalists, myself included, um sharing the doom and gloom story and talking about what needs to happen in Jamaica to ensure that we don't sink when the sea level rise and the, the island wipe off of the face of the earth and all them something there. And the fact that Kingston probably soon touch climate departure means that every year, every year I'm going to be the hottest year on record. That sort of stuff. So we wanted to know, you know, what's happening within the LGBTQ community? How are we holding up and stuff like that? And, you know, they asked me to do a cute little study um, which I did, and since since then we've been, you know, we've been getting a lot of um engagement around the topic, and we just we we felt like it was necessary on this podcast to really you know shift gears a little bit and talk about how LGBTQ people are being treated within this climate change, um, finance justice advocacy space that we we, we keep hearing governments talking about. Um, during election time, politicians platform on climate change and environmental issues and all those stuff. So we just wanted to dive a little bit deep into that, give you girls um, the sophisticates and understanding of the issue. Um, and my own personal goal is to hopefully get more of you on my side. <laughs> um, I, have a, I have a distinct goal to queer environmental science and studies. And I'm not, I no cap, I'm not at my mouth and talk. I want to see the body people them front and center when it comes to environmental advocacy. And that is on that. So hopefully after we talk, we'll have that conversation here. Uh, you know, we'll see where it goes from this stuff. So who leading who leading the who leading the talk now? Cause everyone leading the talk. But I have to lead the talk and I I have a question, right? <laughs> Um, so we talk about, I know like homelessness is like a feature of, um, well, not for everybody, but in Jamaica, I know we've had, or we still have, um, LGBT people being homeless. Um, and we used to talk about homelessness alone, um, and reasons why um, LGBT people are homeless. Um, but now we couple that with um climate change right um i think my question is how how does this affect an lgbt um person versus like normal a normal person in jamaica um who is homeless right so it's a very that's a very direct question um and the since so the study we did focused on LGBTQ people, um, of whom we know there's there. I I don't well, Glenroy can probably say more upon the status of the homelessness situation within the community, but um, one of the reasons why I was pushing for a study like this even before J Flag came to me was that we have a high percentage relative to the. I think the the national population of homelessness within the LGBTQ community, and if we remember back back to the days of the Gully Queen, 
all of the transgender people um and LG, although otherwise lgbtq people who were living within the storm drains they, they were the ones who were at direct risk from for for um example hurricanes or storms or just regular rainfall because once the water runs off the road our property goes into the storm drains right so these persons were in a direct line of um impact from these from these weather events and not only that we're talking about diseases because we know so Jamaica have a problem with um sewage connection and NWC and all them someday so storm drain usually carries sewage and when we talk about environmental enforcement we have manufacturers where dump untreated um effluent in a storm drains too so storm drains also carry industrial effluent so again like there are multiple hazards stacked on each other when it comes down to these per these lgbtq people who are living in the gullies um thankfully i think that number has been declining over the years i, I don't know if we've touched zero yet or if we're still monitoring that but um the number has been declining and it's still a real threat though when it comes to the issue of homelessness um let's just let's take lgbtq people out of the conversation for just a second but homelessness has also not been directly treated in the climate response in Jamaica. So we have a lot of, we have a lot of um, advocacy around things like gender and children recently got into the conversation, I think from a, um, a UN report, maybe last year or the year before. So homelessness has not yet been treated directly as it comes to, as it relates to climate change response in Jamaica. So, and the homeless people would have again um been in a similar place to lgbtq people where they were in there were they would be in a direct line of impact from um weather events so just imagine having to sleep outside under a bus shed or just on a bench in a park when it rains you are not covered for your when it's when this when the sun comes out you're dry when the wind blow it, it blow upon you like you're wet you're dry right so all of those things happen to homeless people. It becomes a it becomes a feature. Wait, it becomes a conversation now of who accounts for the higher percentage of homelessness in Jamaica. And then if we're seeing LGBTQ people being the higher percentage of homeless people in Jamaica, then we know we have another layer of of problems to address. Um, I don't know if that study has been done. I don't know if we have that have those numbers. But needless to say, I think the short answer would be with all the issues of discrimination, and I'm sure it's going to come up again later on in the conversation, with all the issues of discrimination that pervades our culture around sexuality and gender identity, um, a homeless LGBTQ person would be at a much higher risk when it comes down to being able when it comes down to vulnerability for climate change, um, especially if that's um, an LGBTQ person who is who has affirmed their identity. So, you know, this is somebody like me or, or you know, anybody else who say, yeah, me so, and this is who I am. And they present like that to, for, for example, a shelter. Um, then in addition to being homeless, they, they don't have to contend with being LGBTQ in a space that's not welcoming. So I'm going to jump in here, although my person is going to pull it back, but I definitely want to jump in here to kind of contextualize a little bit because of some of the questions you asked. So, so the homelessness numbers are, mega call them inaccurate. So based on the, the, the dialogue we've had, JFLAG has had with the Board of Supervision, they estimate that it's just over 1,000 people in Jamaica that are homeless. Don't make no sense to me. That I feel them estimate that are them official numbers. There is no homelessness policy in Jamaica. So from where we sit, it's hard for us to say, for example, that LGBT people are disproportionately um, affected by homelessness because we know the numbers that are officially there aren't correct. They're not capturing all homeless people. Um, but to, to, to kind of unpack some of what you said, the reality is a lot of times with the shelters that we have in the past kind of have engaged people to um have engaged to get people there, there are different challenges. So first of all, they're not there's not like one shelter in each parish in Jamaica. 
there is like three or four shelters overall. They're dropping centers, which is a place where you can come and you can like wash up and prepare yourself to go to work. If you have a job, you can be homeless and have a job. But they're not like shelters all across the board. And, and some shelters are only uh, are, are gender specific. And then there is that larger question about the extent to which a gender-specific shelter include a trans person, but that's a different conversation. So a lot of times, and there's one shelter in Kingston, but that shelter one always for two is not necessarily the safest place for LGBT persons. So putting all of that into context, even though there might be a shelter, it doesn't mean to, an LGBT person can necessarily go there and feel like they're about to be they're gonna necessarily get protected. So there's a reticence about going to the shelter. And so all of those things come into play when we talk about the risk. So there might be something in Kingston and in some other are in Mobay, but does it cater to the needs of a particular subgroup within the homeless population? And to what extent are we tracking the homeless population altogether? So there are all these layered conversations about the kind of services that are available for people who are homeless. But my question um, really is pulling us back because I think we, we oftentimes start the climate change conversation on the assumption that everybody who part of the conversation know how climate change go and is sold on, I guess, the concept of climate change. It's not a concept, it's a reality. But So for the girls who, you know, them just uh, listen to a full-on conversation for the first time, what are the, what lead to climate change? What cause it? Let's just give some one, two basics um, of, you know, climate change. And, and then we can dive into questions about who, which groups tend to be more vulnerable and why. Okay. Um, let's say we can do this because uh, <laughs> I've been accused of not being able to simplify things. But um, so just to just to be clear, um, climate change as uh, it's it's a reality, but it's also a concept. Um, if we're academic speak, but like for example, the climate is always changing. It it, it naturally changes, right? But Climate change in and of itself is uh, something that is uh, is promoted or influenced by what we call greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Greenhouse gases, if you know if you know what a greenhouse is, um, it's the same principle. Like for example, if you're into agriculture, you grow plants in a what what we call a greenhouse, which is pretty much like a building that is warmer than outside, um, and it causes the the plants, the, the fruits or whatever you're going to grow faster. So the greenhouse gases has that similar effect on the planet. It causes the planet to heat up, um, the increase in the average temperature of the atmosphere. And that occurs naturally over billions of years. So really and truly, no one alive should be able to tell that climate change is happening under natural circumstances. Um, what has happened within the last let's say 300 years so mm, since what we call the industrial revolution in britain when the girls then discover say you can't pump out the water out of the coal mine and so and then things just start skyrocket what has happened was that we start pumping more greenhouse gases than ever before so we pretty much sped up the greenhouse effect so the, the earth is warming at faster rates than it would have been warming naturally and so what we're having is what we call human-induced climate change, right? So that's, that's kind of the difference, and that is why we are so focused on it, because we know that it's our activities that's causing this to happen. And all of the things that we're seeing, for example, the more hurricanes or the no hurricanes, the droughts, the more intense rainfalls, the floods, all of those things. For example, Pakistan, if you follow the news recently, all the countries in Europe, America, China that has been flooded, that's getting a month's worth of raining rain in a day. Like all of those things are because the climate is pretty much in simple terms in chaos and because of the because of because of the increase in temperature. So I don't know if that's simple enough or if that makes sense, but that's kind of the gist of climate change. 
And before you go to the vulnerability something. So quick science, why is it that the place that I took make more rain fall and the rain fall harder? Girl, men on climate sciences. <laughs> but, <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not I am not a climate scientist by any measure. Um, but you understand it. I, yes, I understand it. So I just to be clear. So if I say anything where someone like can't really say it go, I mean that's a climate scientist. Um or a meteorologist, because it's our meteorology question, yeah, asked McGlynn, right? So we have different type of rainfall. Um, the one you're asking about is convection rainfall, which is driven by changing air temperature. So as the, the surface of the earth eat up, the water evaporates and go up into the sky and form a cloud. When the cloud them get full, then peep it away. Nah, just kidding. When the cloud them get full, <laughs> um, I, I saw this meme that says clouds are kinky too, and it just living them head red free. When the clouds get full, pretty much they dump water on the earth, and that's called rain. Um, as the temperature heats up, as the earth heats up, that process occurs more frequently and more in more variably. Say so it not happen in predictable ways like it used to do before. So you might have some places, and then we have all of these different weather systems like La Nina, El Nino, um, one bunch of other something will occur at the same time will cause the rainfall to either intensify or you end up with drought. I don't know which one cause which, but usually when we're having periods of intense rainfall, usually one of those other weather systems are there. Um, they get thrown off because of the change in temperatures, so we might end up with more periods of intense rainfall versus versus maybe if we never have like this happening. No, we'd probably have a La Nina year or a El Nina year, two years apart. No, we're probably having them consecutive years and stuff like that. So it's a whole bunch of things that um, at the same time that's causing all of these conditions. Unfortunately, girls, and I apologize, I focus on the human dimensions of all these things. So I'm going to really pay too much to the hard signs to occur at the back. Because really and truly, I personally believe that so we're past that stage now. Um, it's it's been done. People understand it. Like where we are at in the conversation now is that this thing is happening. It's been happening for decades. It never started yesterday, and people are being affected. And we need to figure out what we're gonna be doing to ensure that people can live them life the way how we say people should be living them life. All right, vulnerability now, girl. Rush out. I hear part is. Okay, so let's all right. Um, and I, so we can go academic pandas, right? We can, oh, what my limits? Um, so when we talk about vulnerability, um, let's so let me back it up before, but how we get, how we get to the whole um conversation about vulnerability, we have this thing that we call risk. So when we talk about climate change, we always talk about who is at risk and the climate risk and all of those things. Risk in its most basic terms, is understood as being two-dimensional. So we have the likelihood. So a risk is the potential of something becoming a hazard. A hazard is when that thing is a direct threat, right? So let's say, for example, construction is happening at your building, right? And them have all the, what them call it? The something them where them catch up on the side of the building where the man them work on. The scaffolding. The scaffolding. So you have the scaffolding on the outside of your building, right? And you have to walk past the scaffolding um every day or walk close to it. There's a risk of that scaffolding falling on you. There's always a risk of that scaffolding falling, right? It becomes a it becomes a hazard or a threat when the likelihood of that falling of the scaffolding falling increases. So you can only be threatened by that risk if you walk directly under the scaffolding. That's one That's one way, right? You can't drop high if you don't walk under it. So that's kind of that's the basis of risk assessments. So we have two things that we call likelihood and severity. How likely is this thing to happen? And how severe are the impacts if it does happen? Um, Let's talk about hurricanes. When we talk about climate change, we're not just talking about this in, as a big concept where we are theorized. We're talking about 
what climate change brings. So let's talk about hurricanes, which we know associated with flooding and landslide, electricity gone, you can't go work, economy tank, you can't travel. All of those things are real when it comes down to a hurricane. Um, what are the likelihoods of a hurricane happening because of climate change? Very likely. How severe are the impacts if a hurricane hits Jamaica? We've all, we all know about Hurricane Gilbert. We don't even still teach us in a school. But if you were in primary school in the 90s, we all know about Hurricane Gilbert, right? The severity is high. So Jamaica is at a high risk for impacts from climate change. Now, that says very little to nothing about how different groups within Jamaica are impacted. So we know the country as a whole at high, high risk from climate threats. But what about the different groups in Jamaica? What about women, children, elderly, disabled, LGBTQ? Um, uh, let's let's include the Maroons because of their subsistence lifestyle. What about all of these different groups of people that live in Jamaica? What's their risk? And the only way to assess that is if we introduce this third variable called vulnerability. Because really and truly with hurricanes, we can't address likelihood or severity. The hurricane go happen, and when it happens, we just have to live with whatever comes. So it makes no sense talking about those two things. So we have to look at vulnerability. And how we assess vulnerability becomes the big question. Um, and that's, that's a definite feature, for example, in Jamaica, of our culture. Um, who gets into the conversation about vulnerability depends on who we consider to be, and I'm going to say real people because my politics strong when it comes on to identity, um, in Jamaica, and who controls the narrative and the conversation spaces. And this is where we inject identity into the conversation as being a measure of who is vulnerable. So what we did in this study to assess vulnerability um first we defined it as the ability to respond to the disaster that was what we were using we know it's more complex than that but you know as a human rights organization with limited funding we have to make the study work and get valuable results out of what we can actually use so we say how, how what's the ability of these people to respond to a disaster that's what we're calling vulnerability and a measure of vulnerability um, can be linked to your income level. We live in a capitalist society where literally to survive, we have to buy everything, which means we have to earn an income. That's a real thing. Um, attitudes and behaviors, which may um, impact risk perception. So your behavior is things that you do day to day. Um, are you somebody who just dumps garbage in the street? I'm um, not call out nobody right now, so don't feel offended if I step on your neck. That's not what this is about. Um, are you somebody who, for example, uses alternative energy like solar panels on your in your home? Um, or are you connected to the grid? Like all of those things are gonna impact how you're able to respond. Do you drive a private vehicle or do you take public transportation? That kind of stuff accounts for behavior the attitude is how you perceive your behaviors so like mm, that naga fit me um climate change is not my problem like that sort of stuff um all of those things can it can impact your vulnerability because then you won't prepare because you don't have a sufficient enough risk perception to say this thing is real and I need to change my behaviors in order for me to prepare adequately to respond to this threat. Um, all of those two things, income, attitude, those three things, incomes, attitudes and behavior can be linked to your educational level. The last report I hear, this may be updated now, 65% of Jamaica don't finish high school, which means 35% are less qualified for go, um, university, which and I think is like 15% end up go, or something like so. But we're not, we don't 19%. have percent 19%, close enough. We know we not have a very good track record of educational attainment in Jamaica. And all of those things impact your risk perception and your ability to earn an income or you know the level of income that you earn which again impact your ability to respond and then how the government communicates these threats 
do we have a strong reputation of environmental communication in Jamaica? Do how, how do we report environmental news in Jamaica? Like what gets into the media and how does how is it communicated by the media? Like legit, it's a complex web of things that influence vulnerability. But we tried our best um to measure um what we did, income level, we did attitudes and behaviors and educational attainment and knowledge. Whenever they like the media stuff. If you know what I'm back on the show next year after I'm finished my media analysis, then we can't talk about it. But <laughs> that wasn't a part of this conversation. But yeah, that's vulnerability and that's how we that's kind of how we we looked at it for this study. Oh, I want to ask him, can you touch on risk um, perception? And um I remember when I came up on that term and I really because people really and truly do for a lot of things in life, you really and truly um, assess your risk and then decide whether you want to be a part of it or, or take part or not. My thing is, um, in Jamaica where you're faced with so many other things, you're trying to survive, you're trying to work, you're trying to eat, you're trying to all that kind of thing, right? There's stigma, there's discrimination, you can't you know, have access to PrEP, you don't have access to HIV, um, well, uh, people shouldn't should uh, have access to HIV um, medication, but we're kind of faced with all these kind of things. One, how do we get the message of climate change um, and its impact and, and people's vulnerability across? How do we get LGBT people in the conversation? Um, just based on the fact that I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure we, we in Jamaica have taken a serious enough approach um, to climate change, much less to kind of inject to be like, um, this is how it, it impacts LGBT people. This is why we need, um, there needs to be an added layer to whatever response. Friend, when you figure it out, tell me. <laughs> no, like, I'm so serious because since, and I'll I'll tell you I'll I'll give you the funny story about this. Since we since I submitted this report to J Flag, I've had numerous engagements internationally about it. I've 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 maybe had five, run about five different conversations with international interests about LGBTQ and climate change issues. Um, I've had opportunities to also present this at academic conferences here in in the US. I've had we've and since we've published it we've been trying to get a meeting with the responsible minister for the environment in Jamaica and I think it 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 took us round about a year plus to get one and I think that was we had that meeting in January of this year that after the last cabinet reshuffle so it was minister Samuda who we met with and it's almost a year and we have not gotten a response out of that meeting so i feel like that is telling enough about what's wrong with how we with how we perceive this to be an issue in jamaica and surely enough we can talk about top down and bottom up approaches um there's a whole conversation to be had about that which we're not gonna get into but really and truly with how the Jamaican society is, I feel like a direct response from the leaders, the politicians, the government of Jamaica is what's necessary to get people actually talking about this in the ways that we need them to be talking about it. Um, really and truly, LGBTQ people don't have time to think about climate change and environment, right? That's the reality of the LGBTQ population in Jamaica. Surely, they in, in America, they, they probably can because... Um, you know, if we compare them upon a similar foundation, they're decades ahead of us when it comes down to social social security and stuff like that and opportunities for rebuilding after a, a natural disaster. There have been reports, for example, in Florida after Hurricane Katrina, hashtag Florida is not a real place, um, uh, where LGBTQ people who were impacted were not able to rebuild even their businesses and their homes after Hurricane Katrina, and a lot of them were displaced. Um, to this day, still can't find back the footing that they had before. So it's a real thing. And, you know, it's not to say that America is a perfect place, but 
with the anti-discrimination laws um, in many states and at the federal level, there are opportunities for LGBTQ people to actually rebuild, um, irrespective of the fact that they present as being LGBTQ people. Not so for Jamaicans, which, because, you know, because we have to think about how we're going to get to the next day. Um, if we can't afford to pay the rent this month, um, is my job on the line because them figure out some queer now that you know, like those are the things LGBTQ people have to think about. So climate change, hurricane, which may or may not happen, um, environmental issues are not at the forefront of our thoughts. So it would be remiss of me to even try to suggest any possible um, mechanisms to get us to actually focus in any significant way. We can't focus on it, you know, but in any significant way to get it, to get a, a movement going within the community around climate change and environment right now. Uh, so my question is slightly connected to that, but different because of all that you just described. I wanted to understand your own assessment of the, the general response to climate change. So, because I imagine the, the community's inclusion in that becomes, I mean, I guess it's less relevant, but the, the, the impact of the community's inclusion in that will be implicated by, are we even taking it seriously in a more general context? So I would like to hear assessment. Do, you know, from a policy standpoint, do we take climate change, and not just policy, policies and programs, are we taking climate change seriously enough um, as a country, as a society, for it to even become as granular as how does it affect particular communities? Girl, I feel like I feel like if I answer that question here, Omar, and say the the who's who's are gonna listen to it and then put out a notice to me out at the airport. Not a notice um, at the airport. <laughs> because really actually the short answer is no. Um Jamaica 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 posters a lot when it comes down to climate change and environmental issues. We talk, we talk a very good talk on the international stage. It was a nice article written, written about this um, last year after Andrew's performance at, um, at, was it COP or was it that meeting with the president, with the US president? But that performance was A1, A plus for Andrew Olness, the honorable prime minister for that performance. Um, you know, but when it comes down to, for example, we talk a lot about climate finance and damage and loss. Like on the international stage, that's Jamaica's platform. The rich countries owe us money so we can adapt to climate change. That is our message. But when, when we come home, <clears throat> right, when we come home, we still see things happening like mangroves are being torn down by the tens and hundreds of acres to put up a hotel. Mangroves are natural protectors from storm surges which occur during a hurricane, right? Um, we see that happening. We see things like the insufficient solid waste management practices that, that occurs. Garbage piles up in front of people's gates for weeks upon weeks. That's a public health hazard. Uh, we're not seeing any, um, any, much, in, any much investment right there um you know we buy a few trucks every couple of years and that's it we we have rundown health infrastructure when when hurricanes happen we need our health infrastructure to be up to par we, we are seeing the news about kph and cornwall and all of these things um i don't know that the food situation is getting any better i think bread is probably now 500 dollars um so we are trending in all the wrong directions um when it comes on to addressing are being ready for climate change and climate action rather. And I use those examples because again, when we talk about climate change, we often and I, and this is this is a fault of academia, this is a fault of the, the practitioners in the climate climate change field. We often talk about this big grand issue that the world is having because of industrial production. But what we're not talking about is all the different things that are connected to our response. Um, and that's kind of how I like to work. I like to just break it down and talk about all the different pieces. Because if we don't have proper health infrastructure, if garbage are piled up, however, public health nuisance, if we continue to strip down the mangroves to build um hotel, if we continue uh 
you know, pave out all of the, the, the every like every patch of dirt we find where I pave it out. Like we can build on a patch of land and put grass. We have to put pavement. And what happens with pavements is that water don't absorb into the earth anymore. It runs off. That causes flooding. Hashtag Marcus Garvey Drive every time the rain falls. Right? Hashtag halfway tree during um the wet period, the wet season. Like we see all of these things happening. And we are not addressing those things. So I I have no, there's no indication from where I sit that from a policy perspective, um, from a governance perspective, that we are taking climate change seriously as a country. Um, there was something else I wanted to say, but my shirt are gonna come to me. I'm gonna stop this up. What that kind of sounds like is as with everything um we hear, it's like there's one issue and we, we tend to see these issues in silos. Mm -hmm. So we understand, to, all right, climate change, you have, you have to address the environment this, this way, but we don't necessarily see all the connections between it. And as I say, resilient health systems, you're not seeing it. And the social protection services, which is a lot of what you talk about in the study about the experiences of vulnerable groups to be able to build back, to be able to respond to, um disaster situations so we see climate change as all right what happened um in, in a very limited way on, of environmental protection but then we don't think about it in the broader sense and so we end up in a situation where even if them claim say okay we're focusing on climate now it's not holistic uh and i guess there's a larger question of how do we begin to get persons there but i but i guess my question is since we're talking about the community how do what how do we i mean i guess as you know individuals but also as an organization begin to kind of get the community to understand their whatever little part they may have and i say little because may recognize it when it comes down to something like this there has to be a policy response what part they play in kind of supporting these the, the efforts and the advocacy and, and the movement for climate justice it 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 um i'm not sure if it's the right word but the only word we are coming to my mind right now it it starts with a bit of internalization like we have to bring we have to bring environment and climate change issues within the scope of lgbtq advocacy um I'm still thinking about how to do that because um, as you can imagine, this study that we did is, and I'm, I'm going to say this, is the first of its kind anywhere in the world, right? Um, no, uh, There's no one that has taken this sort of a deep dive into LGBTQ and climate change um, issues. And it starts, and that was because you your organization had an interest Right now, how do we get this into the wider community? Again, I don't have an answer for that question, but it it definitely it definitely does have to do with how we perceive the issues, the challenges that we're having. Um, and if we can, if we can, let's say for example, let's take homelessness for for example. I think that's probably the best example I can come up with. Um. If we can adequately quantify, because our government is a data-driven government, they make data-driven decisions um, per the words of the Honorable Prime Minister and some others. And if we can adequately quantify the percentage or the proportion of homeless of um, homelessness accounted for by LGBTQ people, right? And then link that to all of these real impacts, for example, you know, the the being exposed to the to the rain and the elements and all of those things, not having access to shelter during these events, and this this the burden on the public health system that will ensue um afterwards. Just like all of that, if we can link all of those things to the lack of um 
treatment within um, environment and climate policy in the country, I feel like that's a good starting point, right? Showing the community that, hey, this is a real problem for you. So all of these issues that you're having, so you can't get no work because you're gay or you're femme or you're trans. That means you can't buy food, you can't pay rent, you can't buy a house, you can't afford for travel, you can't afford healthcare. When the hurricane land, you're going to be at the bottom of the list for um, what them call them something there, what them, what them give out when we have the pandemic, um, welfare package or just. Any any sort of aid, let's say yeah, any sort of aid that comes from the government, you're gonna be at the bottom of that list because of who you are. Right? So finding ways to 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 illuminate that sort of linkage between their lived realities and what would happen in a weather in in the face of a natural disaster um is a good starting point. Not it's not been tested, so we can't tell us it's gonna work. But from where I sit, it just seems like a logical first step. And admittedly, any sort of solutions we come up with to addressing this issue of engagement within the community is going to be a trial and error. It's going to be a learning engagement. Like right now, JFLAG, a pioneer. May I butter on up so I can you know, support some more work and stuff. But JFLAG, a pioneer. <laughs> Y'all are doing something novel. Y'all are doing something novel within the climate change space. Like every we have anecdotal evidence, and for the girls that have evidence when they're really proven scientifically, yeah, true something. Don't mean nobody telling us they're not true, but policymakers don't want that, right? They want a study that was done with a proven methodology and analyzed with with um tested statistical analysis tools done by an expert in the field and all of those things that's what the policymakers want so we need more of that also coming out of the lgbtq community we need more of that so we can create the ammunition for when we go to the government to say listen so the proof here your time now well yeah the climate matter expert cause who else I got to it. And I'm I'll go most to you cause Well I would love I would love I would love to see two or three more men tell no lie. Where you get them from? I cannot be a climate matter expert. Right. Landvel, yeah. what say you? I agree. Landvel can create Landvel can create the connections over the UK's carbon still have money for we. I feel like ah! them cause it. And them cause M all of this. Em, you want me to put them in suit? You want me to put them in suitcase? Bring me come down. <laughs> Anything you have to do, we have them. Have a king now, so we can we can make some. Um... <laughs> you want me to put this in my suitcase? Bring it come down. Prince king, Prince I think. King. <laughs> I think... <laughs> no, but see, but like seriously, um, I mean, I jest a lot, um, but it's a heavy topic, and we need to laugh at some point. But getting. We have to figure out some way we can collaborate. We can collaborate. Um, I'm actually working on collaborations with other organizations to take this regional. Um, and hopefully we can potentially get some foot in the door to carry come. If Jamaica not nothing, maybe we can, you know, we can probably look to Trinidad and Barbados and Guyana, um, Belize, because they're clearly more ahead of we when it comes on to these matters of inclusion. Um and if them start address it, maybe Jamaica will follow. You know, we are one part follower and one part leader. I mean, I don't really, I don't really know how it works. But um, I feel like we've just been, I feel like part, a, a real part of the problem, and this is where the work of JFLAG comes in, um, a real part of the problem is that we are holding on for their life to the discrimination that is that is um the root of our, not even the root, but one of the roots of our culture like we are whole on for dear life and as long as that exists we won't get to a place where the government will feel safe enough and this is me being hesitantly empathetic with them um the government won't feel safe enough to address this issue head on so something also needs to happen with 
changing the culture of Jamaica to also be able to get this conversation in the public space. So multiple pathways for entry into public discourse. We just have to choose the one we feel like we can tackle easiest and get the best results and then just focus right there. So I am here. I am willing. This is kind of like my calling right now. Like every conversation I have about environment includes inclusion, equity and diversity. Like people tired of me right now. I'm like a broken record. That is always my starting point. Where are the minority voices? Who are the people talking in this conversation? Like, I need to know, is the queer people represented? If not, I'm not interested. That's okay. where I'm at. So, let me know what I want. You know, what, 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 what has been my biggest lesson um, in, in the last few years? Which we didn't know, but, you know, she have like a sense of charity. Um, everything, almost every policy recommendation, every piece of research that we do, whatever the area we talk about, how it impacts the community, what is the difference for the LGBT community, more often than not, it comes back to discrimination. It comes back to what are the responses to discrimination so that community members feel like one way or the other, they have a voice, they have a space, and they can be, they can be engaged. And it always boils back down to anti-discrimination laws and policies, at which point we reach the roadblock of, well, the powers that be, you know, that are hesitant. But it, but more more and more, what becomes particularly obvious is that if we never if we never tackle this head on and appreciate how it permeates through all of the the policy making, the decision making, the sectoral, the different sectors, we're gonna always be grappling with a differential impact of a variety of issues on our community. So, I mean, it's a big part of why for me, um, ever since it's been my, it's been my purview, I've always focused on anti-discrimination work um, at JFLAG because it feels like, well, if we can, if we can put a dent here, it makes a significant difference in all of the areas that we we want to engage community and people around and we want to see a difference in people's lives. Um, but of course, that requires a, a not 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 merely a commitment, uh, but a, a leaning, a penchant, a, a recognition, all of those things on the part of the, the powers that be to say, we have to face this head on. Um, and I don't think they're there yet. I don't know when they'll get there because they're they're still stuck on an on a law on a particular law that you don't need to be stuck on to address this. But until we get there, we're always going to be in a situation where LGBT people are differentially affected by a range of things. Um, I see it in social services. I see it when we talk about poverty. I see it when we talk about a bunch of different things. But Thank you, M, for breaking down um, the climate thing for those of us who are as sciencey as you. But um, full disclosure, people, when we just meet, and me that me that ask them to explain what the content of water, all of them something that I'm used to, I'm used to actually something. Don't forget the river Thames, my love. The deal in England, you ask me why not why not river Thames. Oh yeah, I'm stressed so tired of you. <laughs> It's funny, I said, maybe you didn't know. Funnily, funny enough, I did because uh, when I did my master's, <laughs> when, I did, when I was doing my master's, I, I read a lot of work on water quality in the river. <laughs> so that, that is the genesis of all of this. Um, but Lanville, do you have any questions before we wrap up the conversation? Any final thoughts about you know the intricacies of this discussion? Um, apart from the fact that it's hard, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think what is good, I think what is good is the fact that we, um, as an organization, as M would say, we always in in a lot of things we are the first, um, and that's a, I think that's a starting point. Um, the fact that we have gone ahead to be like, this is something that nobody has ever kind of looked at. Um, and I know um, 
I think there's a policy brief that came out of this. Um, so we have, in a sense, kind of made steps to um, make politicians kind of aware um, of the issue. And I think that's a, a first step to kind of um, start the conversation. It might not be progressing as how we want it to progress, but at least we have um, evidence there to say this is something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And, um, you know, we we did share from as soon as it was finished, the, the, the entirety of the study with, with different policymakers um, so that they can begin to percolate on the issue. Um, so I guess it's a, it's just one of those things with advocacy. You keep hitting at it, hitting at it, hitting at it until someday somebody, usually when it gets really bad, but someday somebody decides, all right, well, I could take this thing seriously and like actually listen to the people who've been dealing with from way, way, let's address this issue. But big up M who has been leading the charge in foreigns and locally on, on addressing this issue and for converting people like me who don't know not about climate to actually recognizing the value of the conversation. My biggest win to date, girls. Not the biggest win. Anyways, um, thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in, as always, to hear us mull over different topics. As you know, to give us your feedback, it's at fishtpodcast at gmail.com. We're also at fishtpodcast on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. But I really hear not about the things then, about the different, some, some of them, but Emma said that the climate change something is very real and that impact differently. So we need to start thinking about the different ways in which we can be a part of those conversations, take them seriously. I'm not going to go, I mean, I will go through the usual speed, but what I would say is um, see how you can be a part of that conversation and make a difference. Um, so big up on yourself, and as I always say, stay sophisticated. Bye. Bye.